G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, the Round 9 Preview Edition. Proudly brought to you by Palmer Bet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. We've got a heap to talk about today. Some massive games coming up this weekend. Some massive news, dramatic news on the football, let's say, disciplinary front. Um, And we have some wonderful football memories to revisit in our fantastic footy flashback segment. As I say, very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you doing, Fine? I'm well, but, um, well, I've been doing this podcast for quite a while, Rowan. That was a different introduction. Tell me what, what all that's about. Well, we have a uh, new partner in this uh, long-running footyology podcast, Palmerbet. We are very proud to have them on board. They are enthusiastic uh, fans of our show, Finey, and um, we have struck a partnership with Palmerbet. So every game we preview each Wednesday, you'll be able to hear the latest live odds from Palmerbet. If you want to check out their app, you can download it. And their website is palmerbet.com, where you can check out all latest odds, not only on football, but obviously a variety of sports. And uh, it's great to have them on board, Finey. We're hoping this can be a very productive partnership. So thanks for the support, guys. Uh, Really looking forward to working with you. Um, They, of course, won't be the only partners we have, Finey, because we've got some existing uh, partners we're very proud to have with us as well. Who are they? Just on Palmer Bed, I'm very pleased we've got odds for every game. That will confirm my suspicion that you always pick the favourite, which is why I, which is why I trail lamentably in our tipping competition. But we'll see how that plays out. Okay. We lack nothing for great partners, do we? And that stretches to the world of hamburgers, the wonderful world of Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, delectable, always the best in quality fresh produce, that beautiful meat patty. No wonder they are rated at the top of most reviewers' hamburger pick when it comes to a good fresh Aussie burger. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrew's for great hamburgers. And the uh, best in home renovations, I believe we have a, a bit of a uh, partnership with them as well. Quality is our catch cry, whether it's burgers, whether it's now a wonderful partner with Palmer and the bedding. We've also got our man on the ground when it comes to a beautiful new home rebuild or renovation, Nick Spartels and West Point Properties in the southeastern Melbourne suburbs. If you're a footy fan, can you go further than the mob that has been selected and used by Dyson Heppel, 
by Scott Pendlebury, by Mike Sheen. Of course not. It's West Point Properties, Nick Spartels. But that's not all, because we are also partners with the best sports data analysts in the business at Stats Insider. They are a sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. They simulate an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result, along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections. Stats Insider, also well known now for their full season forecasting, which for the first time in nearly two months has a new premiership favourite. Yes, it's Geelong now sporting a 20% flag winning probability. Uh, Some great writing on Stats Insider too, the best independent sports writing and analysis. It's all free to use, so check it out at statsinsider.com.au. So we've got a lot of support here on this podcast. And most importantly, we have your support out there. We've got a cracking show to bring to you today. Let's get straight into it. On Footyology Newsfeed. Well, plenty of uh, off-field drama involving uh, players this week, Fanny. Um, and we obviously need to talk about a couple of uh, pretty serious incidents and the first one, which uh, has had a fair bit of publicity, it's fair to say, an incident at a nightclub involving Richmond pair Daniel Rioli and Shay Bolton. And uh, just when the Tigers could least afford something of this nature, it happened again. The story is that Shay Bolton's birthday party had a variety of guests from, uh, well, not only his club, but other clubs. Daniel Rioli was attending with his girlfriend. His girlfriend was subjected to some uh, rather unpleasant behaviour from uh, someone else at this party, not with the group. And uh, Daniel Rioli took umbrage to that. A fight ensued. He received a, uh, I saw him on the news last night training, actually a pretty nasty eye injury, required a couple of stitches. Shay Bolton entered the fray and unfortunately he has ended up with a wrist fracture or hairline wrist fracture and he is now out injured for the next two to three weeks is the prognosis. Uh, Now the wash up of this, uh, Richmond have investigated the incident, the AFL will also do similarly at some stage but it appears now I think there's been enough digging and delving done to conclude that the players were relatively, I won't say totally, because they did get involved in the fracas, but relatively um, innocent parties in this. As such, the club has seen fit not to punish them. Um, But again, it raises a whole lot of issues, doesn't it, about the sorts of social lives players can have. Um, And I think maybe that's something people tend to take for granted a bit, that, you know, most of us can go out and sort of, have a decent time out there. But uh, when you're an AFL footballer, you're immediately recognisable. And for the, you know, nine out of 10 people who will be pleasant and just, you know, want a selfie or something, there's always a 10th who wants to be a bit of an idiot. And um, it makes the whole thing pretty dangerous for players. But, you know, the bottom line here is it's shocking news for Richmond when they could least afford it. Of course, a really long injury list. Uh, Dion Prestia, Trent Cotchin, Kane Lambert, 
Um, they do get Dylan Grimes back this week, but um, struggling for wins, you know, it's just come at the worst possible time for them, hasn't it, Finey? Yeah, rotten luck. And again, brings sharply into focus exactly what you said, how unfair it has become for league footballers and I guess for maybe other people, any noticeable identities to be out and about. There seems to often be one hero in the crowd that wants to, for one in one way or another, make a bit of a name for themselves. Now, this centred around an incident with Daniel Rioli's girlfriend. I'm more than impressed by Richmond's response to this. I mean, there has been a bit of knee-jerk reactionism by football clubs in recent years. You're out and about. You've done something wrong. We want to get on the front foot and punish you before the AFL does. And a little bit of sort of, you know, school teacher, school kid type management of players by clubs. But this has been investigated by the Tigers. They've obviously felt that the aggrieved party here, in fact, are the footballers and that they deserve no further sanctioning. So, of course, the all-important shame Bolton misses out on at least two weeks of football, and you've already pointed out how depleted Richmond's midfield is. But do you agree with me that uh, Richmond, on at least the surface, seem to have taken a very sensible approach? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I, th- I think I understand the level of cynicism about these incidents because in the past, the tendency has been for clubs to try to cover things up. And then, as you say, I guess uh, an overcorrection perhaps in a couple of instances where guys, you know, have sort of been relatively innocent parties and still ended up paying some sort of penalty. But, um, you know, it is a reminder about how closeted a life <laughs> these guys uh, sometimes have to... Well, it's interesting, you know, my son David is now starting to uh, do the nightclub, uh, weekend nightclub scene a bit. And he's told me a few times recently about being in places where there's been, you know, a groups of AFL footballers. And uh, we were talking about it the other night and he said, he said the thing he's really noticed is that basically everyone just wants to talk to him, say good day, you know, talk about the footy. And he said uh, every instance of that he's witnessed, you know, the players have been suitably accommodating and pretty patient, you know, and you think about it, I mean, it, it would get to you at stages if you just want a bit of time out from the whole football bubble and uh, you can't really escape it. I mean, we, we even find that ourselves and we're nobody. So, um uh, yeah, I, I, I am sort of supportive of the action Richmond's taken there. Uh, on In an on-field sense, it's challenging for them, isn't it? They really have lost some key players. And, of course, Bolton, arguably, been their best player this season. So they, they can't take a trick, not only with the amount of injuries, but who they're getting them to. Yeah, it's uh, certainly come at four and four at the worst possible time. So... Yeah, makes their clash against GWS actually really already precariously placed even more difficult. All right. Well, there is another serious news story and involving another Rioli. Um, And uh, I've got to say, I find this one a bit sad. Uh, We're talking about Willie Rioli of West Coast. Of course, he has been out suspended for a fair while now since... um, returning a positive drug test 
was due to return on the eve of the finals, but now um, is in some more serious trouble. He uh, was apprehended whilst flying from Darwin to the Tiwi Islands on April the 23rd with uh, cannabis. Uh, and according to the reports I've seen, um, not a tiny amount of cannabis either, a reasonable amount. Um, he has been charged with possessing a Schedule Two dangerous drug. His court appearance is today, actually, Wednesday the 12th, as we record this podcast hasn't happened yet um the hope and i think expectation is that he will receive a fine and community service um the there's talk about what sort of penalty he would receive in terms of game suspension by the afl we know that uh, if a player records a second strike it's an immediate four game suspension but we don't know uh, like a lot of those cases, whether Willie Rioli has in fact a first strike. But either way, uh, I mean, that's almost a moot point because uh, coming on the back of the other suspension, it doesn't augur well for his playing career. And that is the sad part because this is a marvellously talented player who played a key role in the Eagles' premiership win in 2018. Uh, you know, his forward tandem, if you like, with William Ryan was a, a thing of beauty, I found, during that season. And, uh, you know, he's such a, a thrilling player to watch. And it would just be such a shame if the Eagles, and you can hardly blame them, said, look, we can't, you know, we've cut you a fair bit of slack. We just can't give you any more leg rope and cut him. And you do wonder, you know, if they can't sort of, manage him would any other club be prepared to take a gamble on him so absolutely no question that at this moment his entire AFL future is in serious jeopardy yeah we're talking about uh, one of the real excitement machines I felt that the penalty imposed because of that positive uh, drug test through Asada was onerous I thought I don't know how you feel about it. It took away virtually two years of football from a very talented footballer, and I don't know whether that's fair. But it would have given him a lot of time to reflect, obviously work with the club in some sort of rehabilitation program. I don't know whether that was put in place, but certainly there would have been time for Willie to reflect and understand how serious an issue drug taking is when trying to complete or be part of an AFL program. So for this to happen simply means that the penny hasn't dropped for Willie. And unfortunately, that means that I would be almost certain no football for Rioli in 2021. A late comeback was possible. That's not going to happen. And I guess that will give the club further time to decide whether or not to cut him at the end of the year. As with you, I think that's a now a distinct possibility. Well, if you were a list manager at another club, you know, regardless of how much sympathy you had for his position and his circumstances, would you be prepared to take that gamble? It's funny, you know, in the light of what has happened and come to public attention now, if you asked the 17 other list managers, I'm sure they'd say no. But football clubs have a way of being very forgiving or look at their own position 
in the light of actually what they have on their list. And who knows, come the end of the season, there may be a club out there that says, you know, we've just got to roll the dice on this young fellow. We've seen it with other footballers, haven't we? With Benell, who ended up at Melbourne. There seems to be eternal optimism when it comes to putting a player on a list, even though their record off-field is, let's just say, dubious. I don't know. I find that there's always a club out there willing to roll the dice on the potential of a footballer. Yeah, well, I mean, Richmond had a couple of successes, didn't they, with, uh, you know, I guess Marlon Pickett uh, and Sydney Stack. However, you know, I mean, Sydney Stack has subsequently run into trouble. Um, You know, the thing about Rioli is he's found this trouble in his home of Darwin and the Tiwi Islands in the Northern Territory, hasn't he? So it's not like a club can go, well, you know, we'll take him out of where he's playing his football now because that's an issue for him. I'm not sure that is an issue for him. Um, you know, look, I, I'm, you know, I'm pretty liberal in my attitude towards recreational drugs. Uh, you know, I think that I agree with you on that point about the length of that initial suspension. I think that you know, those sort of penalties should always be reserved for performance-enhancing drugs, not uh, recreational drugs. However... You know, I do see, I think, a bit more than I used to when I was younger, the social responsibilities that clubs and AFL players have and, you know, the importance of them um, keeping on the straight and narrow, at least while they pursue an AFL career. I really hope we see him again. You know, I, I don't think football has enough genuine, exciting naturally gifted stars and he's certainly one of them. It'd be a shocking loss just in a football sense, wouldn't it? Spot on. You know, how many players are there that really take our breath away? And as you said, when in combination with Liam Ryan, it was close your eyes if you're an opposition supporter, but if you didn't have a vested interest or even better, if you're a West West Coast Eagles fan, get it down to those two blokes because something brilliant's going to happen. All right, well, uh, that's enough on the controversy front. We do have a good news story in this segment as well. Uh, Gee, a lot's been made of it, a surprising amount, actually, I reckon. But uh, the AFL has rescinded its policy about the naming of teams, and uh, we had lost the traditional Thursday night team announcements, but... uh, Back by popular demand. In fact, the AFL release said uh, after consulting with fans. Well, I'm not sure they did. I think um, they basically took the temperature uh, via the media and uh, the media, including us, were certainly none too happy about this new arrangement. So Thursday night teams are back. And if you've forgotten what that entailed, uh, actually Thursday night games will have Wednesday night team announcements Games uh, played on Friday, Saturday and Sunday will have uh, squads with uh, named interchanges for the Friday, Saturday games and squads for the Sunday games, including a total of eight emergencies. And um, Mark Robinson's particularly excited about this. Uh, Couldn't be any commercial interest to play there, uh, given the Herald Sun's involvement in fantasy football, etc. Could there, but, and tipping... 
Um, but uh, got to say, it, it seems like a, a logical move to me and uh, certainly will help tipsters, fantasy football players and pundits alike do their selections. Uh, even though I should point out here, we do this on a Wednesday morning, so it's no help to us. We just have to fly by the seat of our pants. And But that's the sort of professionals we are, apparently. Yeah, I'm very glad it's back. And I know that there has been a thunderous roar of disapproval, but I'm pleased to say that my tweet that went out on the very first non-naming of teams on Thursday night, that was... or. Yeah, all the way back to round one, has finally received a positive outcome. Mine was selfish, I admit, at the time. I am involved in a form of fantasy football, none of the big organised ones, but nevertheless, I like seeing the teams. I like knowing who's in and who's out. And you know what? I do admit that logically, the fair play is that Every club is allowed to name their team 24 hours before the game. But it became such a hodgepodge. I don't know many people who were with their Saturday afternoon going into Saturday night socialising all over the Sunday teams. I think they went through to the keeper. And this is a much better way of doing things. So as I said at the time, the old league teams, even though that's long gone of Jack, Bob and... Uh, Jack Bobby, Jack Dyer, Bobby Davis and Louis Richards, at least their memory can now be rekindled. And if we ever want to do it again, we can get a modern day version of that. All right. Some good news to finish off our newsfeed segment. We have got nine massive games to preview coming up in round nine. Let's do it now. On Footyology, previews with Punch. First game on the round nine menu. It's a big one. Marvel Stadium, 7.50pm Friday evening. St Kilda taking on Geelong. Uh, the Saints just getting over the line last week against Gold Coast. The Cats coming off that marvellous, impressive win over reigning Premier Richmond. What does Stats Insider tell us? Well, the new Premiership favourites look back to their very best. So far racking up. 70-plus uncontested possession differential and a plus-20 mark differential on the season, which is allowing them to completely dictate games. Interestingly, the Saints rank 14th in both surrendering uncontested possessions and marks inside 50. They also rank 12th in tackle differential, which suggests if they're not prepared to roll their sleeves up here, they could be in for some trouble and the Palmer Bet live odds. Now, these are live as of Wednesday morning, 8.30am. In fact, uh, any updates, you can visit the website, palmerbet.com. Uh, they have head-to-head. St Kilda is paying $3.03. Geelong, pretty warm favourites for this one, $1.39. Uh, what do we know about this game on the selection front, Finey? Well... St Kilda will welcome back Seb Ross. He was a late withdrawal last week, but for all the right reasons, he and his partner welcome twins, which is a bit of an exciting moment for the Rosses. I guess that's, um, you know, expect that to have some good football pedigree because, of course, Seb Ross is uh, a Watson in a way. First cousin to Joe Watson and a nephew of Timmy Watson. 
And far as Geelong is concerned, Sam Simpson suffered a hamstring injury and he will be out, replaced by Quinton Narkel, I imagine, who came on the sub. Seb Ross to take the place of Mason Wood seems a simple straight swap. Potentially, we could see James Frawley as St Kilda look to bolster the back line with that tall Geelong forward line, not just Cameron and Hawkins to worry about, but also a Savaretta Look, Geelong just owned St Kilda last year, and in recent times, that ownership has not just been four points, and Kilda just hasn't been able to get into games. Why? A lot of it has to do with not being able to get their hand on the ball. That high possession game by Geelong has had St Kilda really perplexed in recent years. It means at Marvel Stadium desperately need to take advantage at the one place where they do have an advantage, which is in the ruck. Ryder and Marshall, hugely important. And Geelong seemingly a little bit... Well, they do have a paucity of ruckmen. They went without Stanley last week. The problem is, so often in football, ruck domination doesn't equal clearance or possession domination thereafter. And that's why I think it's a Geelong victory, and I say so, by 29 points. Now, this is another of those games uh, between sides that don't play each other a lot. Just having a a look at the head-to-heads here, and since your Saints beat the uh, Cats in that thrilling 2010 qualifying final, uh, they have played since then just 11 times. Uh, Disturbingly, for your team too, Friday, the Cats have won eight of them and drawn another one. They have had only one loss to the Saints since that 2010 final. I'm a big believer in history, particularly when one of the coaches in the two of the two teams during that time is the same man that coached that losing qualifying final. Oh, no, he didn't. Sorry, that was Bomber Thompson's last year. But Chris Scott certainly knows how to go about the business of beating the Saints. Uh, yeah, certainly not convinced the Saints are back in town on the back of a, a very narrow come-from-behind win over Gold Coast last week. And, look, the Cats just looked a million dollars, didn't they? I, I guess one of the real points of interest in this game will be to see what brand of football the Cats play because uh, they started off last week with that slower, more cautious possession-based football uh, it didn't. It didn't work, and they uh, started to move the ball a bit more quickly, and it certainly paid dividends against the Tigers. Uh, St Kilda doesn't mind a bit of run and carry either, so hopefully it could be a fairly entertaining clash. So I will be particularly interested to see what sort of footy the Cats produce in this game. Uh, big game for the Saints. Finally, uh, I had a look at their run home and it's a shocker. It's clearly the most difficult remaining draw of any of those uh, top eight aspirants. So they have to make every post a winner, including games like this one. Can they do it? Well, I think they're capable of pushing the Cats a bit of the way, but not all the way. I think Geelong might get on a roll now. I think uh, the penny might have dropped or the light bulb went on or some analogy of that description in those last three quarters of sizzling football against the Tigers. I expect that to spill over for several weeks yet. And uh, I think they're going to have a pretty decent win here. I'm going for the Cats to win this one by 20 points. All right, that is Friday night. Let's talk about Saturday. 
First game on the card for Saturday is 1.45pm. It's at the SCG. Interesting game time for these two teams. Uh, sort of a clash that's often been played on a Friday or a Saturday night. It is Sydney up against Collingwood. Uh, Stats Insider tell us not only did the Swans come closest to anyone uh, of knocking off the Demons last week, but they were the first team to claim a fourth quarter scalp against the latter leaders. First time all year Melbourne hasn't won the final term. Sydney out-possessed and out-tackled Melbourne and generated 12 more inside 50s, which are all incredibly strong numbers. Yet the Swans were only able to generate a scoring shot on 31% of those inside 50s. Once again, that is testimony to Melbourne's terrific defence. Do Collingwood have a comparable defence? I wonder. Uh, look, the Pies are coming off a win, albeit against the winless bottom of the ladder at North Melbourne. So how reliable a form guide is that? I have my doubts. The Palmerbet odds available at palmerbet.com. Uh, they have Sydney, a warm favourite, paying $1.33. The Magpies, some decent value there for Pie fans hoping for an upset. Collingwood is paying head-to-head -head $3.35. Uh, what do we expect to happen on the selection front here, Finey? Fairly straightforward change for the Sydney Swans with Hewitt available after a concussion protocol. And I think the Irishman... Cole Moreden might be the unlucky out, whereas Collingwood have a couple of concussion men themselves that are unfortunately not going to be able to play. Most importantly, Jordan Roughhead and Nathan Murphy, courageous. Uh, Pye, unavailable this week. Will Kelly should come into the side. That seems one obvious inclusion. Who else comes in for the Pies? They've got a battalion of players, youngsters that they could choose from including Finn McRae, Jay Rantel, maybe, just maybe Mason Cox finds his way back into the team, even though his form in the VFL hardly warrants it. Look, those odds from Palmer Bet seem to be right on the money for mine. Yes, Collingwood did record a win last week against North Melbourne, as most pundits expected, but I think most people who tipped Collingwood did so with reservations. And after the probably three first three quarters of the game, those reservations were well held. The problem for Collingwood is a forward line that doesn't really convert work upfield needs a performance like last week from Jordan Dugowie to get the four points. But how often can you bank on that with Dugowie? At the moment, he's very much a week-to-week -week proposition in terms of form and mental approach to the game, whereas Sydney is a far more bankable item. Even without Buddy Franklin having any say in the game, they pushed Melbourne. It was a wonderful game of football. Papley always dangerous. There are other options up there. None in the least. Young McLean, who's having a good season. So I've got no problems tipping Sydney on home turf. I think that the arm wrestle in the middle probably goes their way. And from that point on, they've got forward options covered. Sydney by 33. Interesting uh, matchup, this one too. You know, Collingwood didn't play Sydney at the SCG for 15 years, between 2000 and 2015. All where Sydney clashes, of course, were out at Homebush since 2015, back at the G. One thing which will give the Pies a bit of hope is uh, they've gone 2-3 two, 
in those five SCG clashes. Uh, really tight tussles. In fact, the last four meetings of these two sides have been decided by a total of 19 points. And another thing that will give the Pies hope, they've won three of them. Uh, they won last season's clash, which was at the Gabba, by nine points. They beat the Swans at the SCG by seven points in 2019 and beat them by a point in 2017. Sydney winning the one in the middle in 2018 by just two points. That, however, was a Collingwood in far better shape than it is today. Yes, they got a lift from Dugowie last week. I agree with you, Viney. I don't think he's a very bankable commodity in terms of consistency. And I still like the way the Swans are going about it. They're not showing the the same sort of flash and dash of early in the season. But uh, some of those older, more traditional Swans qualities, I think, have come to the fore in the last couple of weeks. And they weren't far off the Demons at all. That was a pretty honourable uh, performance, I think, against an unbeaten side. I think they've got the consistency and the steadiness and the home ground advantage to be able to turn that into four points here. But uh, I will be guided by history to an extent. I'm not going for a big margin here. I am going for the Swans by just eight points. All right, that is the first game on Saturday. Let's talk about the other afternoon game. It's the Battle of the Tasmanian Co-Tenants. Hawthorne taking on North Melbourne. This one at Hawthorne's second home of Launceston. Been doing it there a long time now. 2.10pm start. Uh, the rival, great rivals of the mid-70s, of course. Uh, these two played in three grand finals over the space of four seasons, the Hawks winning two of them. Uh, what will happen in this game? Stats Insider tell us the Hawks have an incredible way of supplying statistical oddities this season. Last week, that came in the form of outpossessing West Coast by 19, yet losing the inside 50 count by a massive 28. That is a massive discrepancy and one which doesn't say a lot of good things about how they're using the ball. Hawthorne's 1.07 kick-to-handball ratio was the round's lowest. The Eagles' 1.81 was the round's second strongest. Um, Stats Insider have given us that info. Palmerbet gives us this info. The Hawks, strong favourites here, despite their runabouts of late. They are paying $1.39 in the head-to-heads. North Melbourne paying $3.03. What do we think is going to happen here in terms of the 22s, Friday? Any changes looming? Yeah, some good changes. Uh, ins for Hawthorne, definitely. Gunston should be right to come back into the team. Jager O'Meara, uh, I should say, likely to come in for Moore and Jecker. And possibly Tyler Brockman could force his way in as well. Whereas for North Melbourne, changes again being forced by injuries. They were down to 17 men in the VFL at latter stages in the game on the weekend because of unavailability. And it gets even worse. This time, the informed Jaden Stevenson has a wrist injury. Aiden Bonner with an ankle injury. Unfortunately, go to the injured List unavailable. Trent Dumont and Will Phillips possibly can return. 
depending on the health of young Phillips. Remember the old expression, if you don't want to see the result, look away now. Well, I suggest you might want to look away now, even if you don't know the result. And we can't tell you, because I'm not expecting a great game of football. There are those out there who are saying, well, you know what? North have been, though slowly, by by slow in increments or small increments, improving each week, whereas Hawthorne have been going in the reverse after a an encouraging start to the season. The last fortnight for Hawthorne has not been impressive and put those two elements together and you might get a North Melbourne victory. I say this, that after this game, Hawthorne's draw gets quite a bit tougher and they will understand only too well that it's a great opportunity to get their third win on the board and keep the blowtorch from Alistair Clarkson and themselves. For that reason, because of Hawthorne's greater depth and including a couple of good players in O'Meara and Gunston, and North Melbourne's depth being further tested with further injuries, especially to Stevenson, who I think's had a very good year, in what might be a scrappy affair out there in uh, up there in Tasmania, and I say up there in Tasmania only if I'm broadcasting from the Mawson base in the Antarctic, of course, down there in Tasmania, it's all Hawthorne for mine. And sometimes, unfortunately, clashes between lowly teams can be blowouts as one team takes the opportunity to really stick it to the other. So I'm going Hawthorne by 41. Yeah, look, pretty hard to find issue with anything you've said there. And that's despite the ordinary form that Hawks have shown in the last couple of weeks. Uh, really unhawthorne like the last couple, to be honest. That's smashing to your St Kilda mob by 69 points a couple of weeks back and then 38 points against West Coast, which uh, I reckon felt like a pretty long 38 points as well. They were never really in that clash after half time. So uh, what does that say about North Melbourne? Well, I think North have been, by and large, reasonably competitive. Um, you know, I... I feel like they're on the right track and sure it's frustrating to be winless after eight games, but they knew they were going to be in this position. I think they're going about things the right way. What they absolutely don't need is injuries to pivotal players and Jaden Stevenson's already become one of them. So that will be a loss very keenly felt indeed. Uh, they're not great at this venue either. Of course, mentioned Hawthorne North in Launceston. First thing that comes to mind is that absolute belting Hawthorne handed them back in uh, 2012 by, oh, it was an enormous margin. It was 115 points to memory. And, of course, Buddy Franklin kicking the famous 13, as Anthony <laughs> Hudson described it. I don't think it'll be this time a thrashing of those proportions, but I do expect Hawthorne to win reasonably comfortably. Good chance for them to restore a bit of confidence and a bit of system to a game style that's been halting at best over recent weeks. I'm going for Hawthorne here by 32 points. All right, let's talk about the Twilight game. It's a Q clash, a Twilight Q clash between Gold Coast and Brisbane. Metricon Stadium is the venue. 4.35pm Eastern Standard Time is the time slot. What is going to happen in this one? Gold Coast, 
disappointing loss at home to St Kilda last week. Uh, Brisbane, of course, going great guns now, really clicking their season into gear. Stats Insider tell us that according to their futures model, Brisbane now has a 35.3% top four probability, which is the fifth strongest in the league, helped along by having what is from here the league's easiest fixture. I wonder how that happened. What's also helping is a defence that has emerged as the competition's second best outside of Melbourne. Over the last six weeks, their opponent's average score has been just 66 points, while they've also played six of the league's best eight attacks this season. Harris Andrews is the standard bearer here. The back-to-back All-Australian is ranked number two in the league in both intercept possessions and contested one-on-ones. And that's pretty decent ranking for a guy who only a few weeks ago, people were saying, was sadly out of touch. The Suns look to be up against it, Finey. What do Palmerbet say? And you can read all the odds there at palmerbet.com. They have Brisbane, a very strong favourite for this one, paying $1.30 head-to-head. Gold Coast paying $3.56. Can the Suns bring back anyone that might make a difference this week, Fawny? Uh Yeah, they could. They could include Braden Fiorini potentially into the side and possibly a debut for a youngster that has been performing well in the VFL. His name is Mel Rosas. So keep an eye out for him. Whereas uh, a couple of players possibly on the fringes are in trouble. They already have two that are unavailable. Tuk Miller suspended and Nick Holman concussion. Now they're important players, especially Tuk Miller, who is vital, I think, not only for the possession that he wins, but also for the pressure he applies in the midfield. Brisbane, they obviously still without Lockie Neal for a while, don't need to make any changes to the side that had such a strong win over Fremantle. Strong enough anyhow. You know what? I don't think the two leaves read well for Gold Coast in this one. Brisbane, first of all, by dint of COVID, the you know the the COVID lockdown in Perth, were able to stay home and play Fremantle. That's a big help. That's one of the longest trips in football, and they avoided it, so they've been able to stay home now for the best part of three weeks, and that is a a level of stability that most interstate teams don't get to enjoy during the year. They add to this by welcoming Gold Coast up to Brisbane in pretty shabby form after that game against St Kilda. They certainly weren't the team of the previous fortnight. Take Tuke Miller out of it, and that further adds to pressure on a midfield that's fairly thin without young Raoul. I'm going to go musical in this one, Rowan. It is a game of master and servant. And being a cube clash, I think of Susie Q... And I think it might be a 48 crash, even though I have to be an odd-numbered man. I'll go for a 47-point win for Brisbane. Uh, very good. When you said master and servant, funnily enough, I actually thought of a song by Depeche Mode from the uh, that's mid-80s. What was, that's what I was referring to. Oh, was it? Okay. Well, that's, I was quite pleased with myself because I, I haven't been a huge uh, 
connoisseur of Depeche Mode stuff, but I do remember that song. I don't remember I didn't mind it either. Yeah. It's funny, uh, you don't know what to make of history between Gold Coast and anyone, really, because Gold Coast have been so ordinary for the bulk of their existence. Sorry, it, it, but that is the case. And their head-to-head record against Brisbane certainly indicates that. In fact, in the last seven meetings of these two teams, Brisbane have won six of them. And the last few in particular have been very lopsided. The last three margins, 45 points, 91 points and 49 points. Uh, Will I split the difference? No, I'm going to go in keeping with two of those three very comfortable wins. I'm going for Brisbane here by 44 points. Well, two massive Saturday night games in round nine. Uh, The first of them should be a corker. It is at Marvel Stadium, 7.25pm between Richmond and GWS, of course, a rematch of the 2019 grand final, hopefully for the Giants, not a similar belting. Uh, The Tigers, unlikely, you've got to say, because the Tigers are struggling at the moment. Their record, just four and four, clinging on grimly to eighth spot on the ladder. The Giants looking to assert them in the eight. They are just outside the eight at the moment, having played some pretty decent footy over the last month, just getting over the line against Essendon last weekend. Stats Insider tell us that the Tigers have lost the disposals and mark counts in seven of their eight games this season. While in their last two losses against Melbourne and then Geelong, they've been carved up by a total of 171 uncontested possessions. That is a fair number. That was a big reason the Cats enjoyed a 78% disposal efficiency number on Friday night in that big win. That was the round's second strongest figure. On the season, the Tigers are conceding a 74.3% disposal efficiency number. That is the fifth worst in the competition. Palmer bet was reasonably close in the head-to-heads here, which you can check out at palmerbet.com. The Tigers, still favourite. They are paying $1.52. The Giants are paying $2.55. That is of Wednesday morning. You can see the updated odds if you are listening to this later at palmerbet.com. Richmond obviously going to have to make some uh, big changes here, Finey. What have they got in mind? No Edwards, no Bolton. We know that. They do welcome back Dylan Grimes. And... They could choose from a range of fringe players. Patrick Nash has already had a bit of a sniff as an emergency sub, or they could go for young Hugo Ralph Smith and a couple of others, but they are the big outs. You know what? GWS had a major, major out at the end of the game against Essendon, and very little has been made of it. You know, Lockie Keith has been excellent in defence for GWS this year. And unfortunately, he tore his ACL in the closing minute of the game against the Bombers. And that's him for the season and for the start of next year. So, you know, terrible luck for a player who obviously made the headlines for all the wrong reasons in his time at Collingwood, got thrown a lifeline by the Giants and really has made the best of it, but now out with an ACL. Expect him to be replaced down back by Jake Riccardi, who, of course, burst onto the scene as a forward, but trialled 
in that position down back a couple of weeks ago in the VFL did very well. Hogan can return for the seniors. Finlayson out after that very undisciplined act, saw him suspended against the Bombers. So there's a couple of changes there. And possibly Mumford to be rested. They don't like playing them too many weeks in a row. Matthew Flynn would come in and offer something different, but no less effective, I think, for the Giants. So how does the game play out? Boy, we really are testing Richmond's midfield depth now, aren't we? You know, Dustin Martin's a superstar, but he does need cover. And quite frankly, up against the Giants team, whose midfield's ticking along just nicely at the moment. Kelly playing well. Hopper playing well. Taranto always plays well. Getting some support from some of the younger players. Always good up forward is Toby Green. The acting captain seems the captain going ahead in the future. Hogan back in the side. Yeah, you can make a good case for the Giants in this one. But we all know Richmond are a team that are not going to surrender their position as top dog too easily. Certainly not at Marvel Stadium and not against a team that they have the absolute holdover after that premiership victory in terms of big game wins. I've got to go for the Tigers. I do so not on a man-to-man basis. I do so on a side-to-side basis and the fact that one club holds all the aces. Richmond by 11. I'm going for the Tigers too here. Look, I've uh, I've written a piece which uh, you can read at ESPN. Actually, today will be up on the Footyology site tomorrow. Richmond is still my premiership tip. I am in no way jumping off their bandwagon. They've been in these positions before and recovered beautifully. All those injured players will be back. And I'm confident in their ability to win this flag from anywhere inside the eight. Uh, which means they have to win about eight of their last 14 games. And that's very, very doable indeed. I reckon Pride's on the line for them too here. They don't get thumped like they were by the Cats last week very often. A couple of other things. I think the venue is a factor here. Do you know GWS has played just two games at Marvel Stadium in the last two years? Both losses, albeit narrow losses. So this is a venue they're not familiar with. They haven't played Richmond here at all previously in uh, 21 appearances at Docklands. So uh, from that perspective, foreign territory for them. I've got to look, it's pretty obvious. I'm a huge believer in Richmond's capabilities. I still think we perhaps don't do them justice as a side often. Uh, I think the comeback starts here. I'm going for Richmond by 22 points. And that brings us to the second Saturday night game, and it's a belter. Well, this should be an absolute ripper. Adelaide Oval, 7.40pm Eastern Standard Time. Port Adelaide taking on the Western Bulldogs. Stats Insider tell us that Charlie Dixon is looming as a massive figure in a game which is the round's only match between two top eight teams. Not only has Dixon booted 12 goals in his last four appearances against the Bulldogs, but it'll be a further test for a Bulldog defence that has had trouble all season against big opposition forwards. Harry Mackay, the um, subject of that last weekend. He kicked four against them. Lynch and Rewalt ran rings around 
that defence the week prior, while West Coast Josh Kennedy and Jack Darling combined for 18 marks and seven goals against the Dogs when they were narrowly beaten by the Doggies in round two. So that's something to consider. The Dogs will be well aware that Port Adelaide's 111 marks inside 50 is the league's third strongest number, while their 102 contested marks also ranks third. Uh, the boys at Palmer Bet are telling us Port goes into this game a favourite, $1.62, the power of paying in the head-to-heads against the Bulldogs, who are paying $2.31. They are the Palmer Bet odds as of Wednesday morning. What do you see as the selection prospects as of Wednesday morning, Finey? Kim English should be back for the doggies. That's good news. Less encouraging is Lockie Hunter, who had to undergo hand surgery following the win over Carlton. You know, they haven't ruled him out yet, but you'd have to think he's in doubt. So Riley West could come back into the team, whereas English to replace Sweet. Ruck problems for Port Adelaide as well with Lysette's suspension. Does Laddams come back in, the forgotten man? I reckon they'll continue to forget him and go with youngster Sam Hayes, who's had a, a little sniff off it this year coming on as a sub a couple of weeks ago. But now he gets his chance for a fully-fledged go in the ruck. I think our Palmer bet odds really reflect how not only strong is the form of Port Adelaide at the Adelaide Oval, but also how it affects the psyche of opposition teams visiting there. They really do have a hold over most teams when it comes to playing at that venue. A fiercely, fiercely parochial crowd will be supporting Port Adelaide. And I don't know, as soon as they finish that song, that in excess song, it seems as though Port Adelaide are ready to play and ready to win. Where are their advantages? Well, certainly not in the midfield, even without Hunter and Dunkley. The Bulldogs' midfield stacks up pretty well, and I don't think they lose too much, certainly not against Port Adelaide. It's Port Adelaide's forward line, I think, that really has taken a step forward in recent weeks. Dixon, ominous, big, powerful. Who plays on him? Do the Bulldogs really have somebody that can match up against a big, powerful forward? They didn't against Richmond, and I fear they may not now. So get the ball down to that big man. Plenty of support, of course, with the likes of uh, Rosie at the drop of the ball. He's in excellent form, as is Fantasia, as is Robbie Gray. No, Port Adelaide for mine by 19 points. Yeah, hard to disagree with that uh, analysis. The Doggies, uh, Adelaide Oval hasn't been a particularly happy hunting ground for them. Their last start there, they did win, but that, of course, was in a COVID-affected season and they were actually playing Hawthorne. In that game, that is one of just three wins the Dogs have had at Adelaide Oval in nine starts now. And they've had some sizable thumpings there against Port Adelaide, including 57 points, 59 points, 72 points, 38 points. I don't think this one will be of the uh, same vicinity, but those stats insider uh, numbers about the forward setups, but particularly the Dogs' difficulties uh, defensively coping with power forwards of the opposition. Um, that is a big concern indeed. Uh, don't get me wrong, I still rate the dogs highly, 
but Port Adelaide at home uh, have a very, very strong advantage. It was a tough slog early against Adelaide last week, but once they uh, weakened the Crows' resolve, they did cash in for a very convincing win. These are the sort of games, particularly at home, they need to win. The other interesting thing about Port, there is a popular perception of them as a bit of a flat-track bully, but their record against uh, top eight teams over the last season a bit is pretty handy. I'm pretty sure they were 5-3 against the top eight last year. Um, this year, uh, lost badly against West Coast and Brisbane on the road, but did knock over Richmond, the reigning premier. So I think they're a little bit more competent against the really good sides than people give them credit for. And I think that is a status which will be confirmed with a win here. I think it'll be narrow. I reckon the Doggies can hang in there and give a really good account of themselves. But I'm going for Port Adelaide to win this one. Uh, single figure margin for me, Port Adelaide by six points. So that is the menu on Saturday. Three games remaining to be played on the Sunday. Sunday afternoon, 1.10pm at Marvel Stadium sees Essendon taking on Fremantle. The Bombers oh, they keep coming close. They've had three defeats now by one point, by two points and by three points. And the Dockers, well, they've hit a bit of a trough. Pretty limp performance by them at the Gabba last week, bearing in mind that is a game that should originally have been played at home. Still, you've got to win them wherever they're Cards are dealt and they were pretty miserable. Stats Insider are saying about this game that dating back to 2010, of the last 47 teams to start a season winning two games or less from the first eight, Essendon ranks number one from a percentage perspective. And actually, James Rosewarn has written a really good piece about that, which you can read on Stats Insider, uh, one for Bomber fans to take heart from. Something else to watch out for is that the Stats Insider game model has identified a genuine edge on Essendon in this match, assessing them a stronger probability of winning this game than most of the betting markets do. That is interesting. What do the betting markets say? Well, Palmer Bet odds have Essendon paying $1.70 and Fremantle paying $2.17. So close, but Palmer Bet have the Bombers as favourites too. Interesting. Uh, what are we looking at selection-wise here, Forney? Gee, that, that is interesting. The fact that uh, our Stats Insider team believe that there might be a bit of value here. Um, good news for Fremantle is the return of one of their most important players, Luke Ryan. So maybe Taylor Dooman misses out there, but that's an important in for them. Whereas the Bombers, who really were bloody unlucky last week, lose Jake Stringer. Unfortunately, again, soft tissue injuries are impacting upon his season. And Matt Wealthy, who did pretty well when he came on, should get a spot in the starting 22. You know, Rowan, you and I look at last week's performance by Fremantle a little, a little bit differently. I know we did on Sunday night, and that carries over to today, Wednesday. You thought it was a a pretty lacklustre performance. I thought they played well. They just didn't quite finish off their work. But I thought that they had a foothold in the game and they just kept going in, having a crack, but they couldn't quite get the result they were after. 
finished the game off well, outscoring Brisbane in the last quarter. Now, can they bring that form down to Melbourne, being forced to stay on the road now for two or three weeks because of COVID outbreaks in Perth? It's a tough ask. Nevertheless, I think they can. Cabin is a good target up forward. I'm very impressed by Darcy in the ruck. He had a great game last week, and if he can continue that form, could provide them plenty of drive. Obviously, important to their results, uh, not only Nat Fife, but also David Mundy. His form seems to be simply not waning. He's irrepressible, mid-30s and brilliant. As for the Bombers, they could get more out of Hooker up forward. He didn't do a lot last week, and if Hooker could hit the scoreboard, that would make it tough for Fremantle because they still are pretty short down back and they could get tested by a tallish Essendon forward line. Nevertheless, I think a really tight tussle here. I think Fremantle are in it up to their purple ears and I reckon they can get the nod by three points. Uh, Fair enough. I I understand that selection. Uh, I do differ with you on this one though I reckon the Bombers by and large this season have been uh, very very competitive, well that percentage certainly indicates that, probably a bit stiff to lose to the Giants Uh, and their record against Fremantle is really good, in fact they have won five of the last six meetings with the Dockers, they did play them at this venue early, in fact round one last year before we had that three month layoff with COVID And Fremantle's record at Docklands of late, it was pretty handy there for a while, actually, in the Ross Lyon years, but they have really gone off the boil playing at Marvel Stadium. They have lost their last six road trips to play at Marvel now. Uh, A few narrow defeats in there. In fact, three by single digits, but three fairly convincing too. And the only one so far this year, that was an absolute Barry Crocker they turned in against the Blues back in round three. And I've got to say, that one sticks in my memory. Look, I think Essendon, um, as Stats Insider say, uh, they have every reason to be positive about this season, despite the fact they're a 2-6 win-loss record. And these are the sorts of games they will identify and think, OK, this is where we finally turn promise into premiership points. How do you like that for a bit of alliteration? Um, I think there's enough confidence flowing through those young bomber emerging stars to turn this one into a win. I think it'll be narrow, though. I'm not going to uh, make it a margin of any considerable proportion at all. In fact, I'm going for Essendon to win this one by two points. All right, let's talk about the mid-afternoon Sunday game. 3.20pm at the MCG, Melbourne. Undefeated, yep, 8 and zip, their best start to a season since 1965, believe it or not. They are taking on Carlton, which was pretty good for three quarters against the Western Bulldogs last week, but uh, all came undone in the last term, unfortunately. The Doggies slamming on eight unanswered goals and turning a 27-point deficit into victory. The Blues will be stung by that one, no doubt. And at 3-5, they are just going in terms of the ladder and win-loss ledger. Stats Insider tell us the Demons lead the AFL with 653 intercept possessions at the moment. Another indication of their immense defence is their tackling game. 
This season, they've laid the league's second most tackles, even though opponents are generating the fifth least amount of disposals. A quick one for Carlton fans on Sam Walsh. He leads the Blues in disposals, clearances, tackles, inside 50s, goal assists and score involvements. That's pretty incredible. Gives you some uh, idea just how good a player he is, but also more dangerously for the Blues, the sort of load that he is having to carry on his young shoulders, a load reminiscent of one that Patrick Cripps has carried for several years now and which disturbingly doesn't appear to be doing him too much good. Palmer bet say about this game that Melbourne is a very strong head-to-head favourite. The Demons are paying $1.28. Some decent value here if you fancy the Blues chances on palmerbet.com. Carlton offering head-to-head $3.72. The Blues will have to come up with something a bit different, Finey. You reckon they're pondering many changes on the selection table? Yeah, I do. One major one because... You know, they came up last week against the Bulldogs who were without their two first-choice Ruckman in English and Stefan Martin. And, you know, David Teague post-match, I think, is the most positive of all coaches. Very much a half-glass full man. But he put the acid on, pitting it, and Casbolt said, you know what, we had an opportunity there and we didn't take advantage of it. So I reckon young DeConning comes in and pitting it We'll have to call his Jets in the VFL. Also, Jack Silvani remains a bit cursed when it comes to senior football. He's out with concussion, and Mark Murphy is ready to return to the senior team. As for the Bull, as pardon me, as for the Demons, wide change, no need. Team played well, keep it going. In fact, the only reason you tip against Melbourne is because they're eight and zero, and somewhere down deep in your bones, you say, "Hang on." Melbourne has to stuff up eventually. It is Melbourne. But take that thought out of your mind. History might not be kind to the Demons, but current season form is. They cover all bases at the moment. They've got the right mix-up forward with not only Ben Brown doing work there, but Luke Jackson or Gorn when they're not in the ruck, providing plenty of high targets. When the ball hits the deck, you've got Cozzy Pickett, Fritz was no good last week, but that's been the exception, not the rule. He's been a dead-eyed dick. Melton also can add to the mix. It's pretty potent. The midfield are kings of winning the ball. Petrarca, Oliver, Brayshaw. They haven't even missed Viney. It's a powerful team. Carlton don't have answers in that department. And all around the ground, I think Carlton will be chasing tail. Yes, Harry Mackay is a brilliant forward. And how good would he have been in combination with Charlie Kernow? Cruel luck there for the Blues. But on his own, up against Lever May, and now Petty, it's too hard an ask. Melbourne by 27. Yeah, look, I'm going for the Demons as well. I've actually written a piece on the Blues for Australian Community Media this week. Uh, should be up online later this afternoon. But... I've gone into bat for them a bit because I feel like, uh, you know, I, I get the frustration of the Carlton camp and their fans about how slow this building process is taking. But I think you've got to look mainly at the positives in that Bulldogs game. Yes, there was a, a fade out, but the Bulldogs are a pretty decent team. And for three quarters, I thought the Blues beat them at their own game uh, well enough to have a near five goal lead. 
So there's plenty of positives there. Kerno, you know, it's a huge if now, isn't it? It's been so long since we saw him, but he would make an amazing difference to that side. So it's not all gloom and doom for the Blues. That said, uh, can, cannot tip against the Demons at the moment. They do have all bases covered. I mean, forward line is looking terrific at the moment. Ben Brown is starting to make a difference already. What about the season Tom McDonald is having? In fact, uh, Shane Hope in Footyology has written about that today. Tom McDonald, one of the feel-good stories of the season, really, turned things around and was the subject of a fair bit of stick in the last couple of years as the Demons tailed off after that preliminary final. But he's having a great season. His combination with Brown is already looking like being a very fruitful one. Outstanding defensive tandem with May and Lever and the midfield, as you rightly say, Finey. Uh, it's a terrific, hard, contested ball-winning midfield, but they're much better on the outside now too with the likes of uh, Ed Langdon doing fantastic work. What a great pickup he's been. Look, uh, the Blues have upset the Demons before, not so much in recent times, though. In fact, the Demons have won, I think, the last five clashes against the Blues, a couple of them pretty narrowly. In fact, last year only by a point. That was at Marvel of course, and the season before by just five points at the MCG. Have won the last five against the Blues, though. They're in much better nick now than they were for arguably any of those victories and uh, cannot tip against them. So I'm going for Melbourne here by 24 points. One game left in round nine. Let's talk about it. Final game of the weekend. It is in Perth at Optus Stadium, 4.40pm Eastern Standard Time. And it is West Coast, which finally uh, broke the ice this year in terms of road trips. Good win over the Hawks at the MCG. Taking on Adelaide, whose bright start to the season has unfortunately fizzled into not much at all. And they were pretty comprehensively beaten in the finish in the showdown last week against their arch rival, Port Adelaide. What are Stats Insider telling us about this one? Well, the Crows have scored just nine goals over their last two matches. They've lost nine of their last 10 quarters overall. On the flip side, West Coast have scored 34 goals in their last two games and won their last eight quarters. That's pretty solid form. This game pits the league's third best attack against its fifth worst defence. And given the venue... Uh, those are all indicators which scream this could get ugly, as do the odds. The Palmer Bet boys are telling us West Coast are, in fact, the shortest price head-to-head favourite for round nine. They are paying just $1.10. Adelaide, some decent value here if you fancy a minor miracle. The Crows are paying $7.10 head-to-head, and uh, you can check the updated odds there if you need to at palmerbet.com. The Crows really starting to feel a pinch fine. Is there any rabbits they can pull from the hat in terms of personnel? Yeah, they might actually produce a first gamer. Uh, I don't know know whether he's going to be the cure-all, but they they need to find something, don't they? I reckon they might turn to a youngster called Ronan O'Connor, a big-bodied midfielder going okay in the sample, give him an opportunity. They will be without Lockie Murphy, that dreaded cinderman. What's it called? Syndesmosis. Syndesmosis. Thanks, Doc. And Ned McHenry out with concussion. 
after being clattered into by Scott Lysette. Incidentally, sorry, just very quickly, that is clearly the injury of 2021. Why is it that we never hear anything about an injury and then all of a sudden it becomes this really fashionable thing? It happened with osteitis pubis. Um, what else has it happened with? It's been several over Navic- years. Navicular. Navicular. I did say I'd never heard the word syndesmosis until probably 12 months ago. Now every second player's got it. I can't even pronounce it. Oh, well, well, okay, so why'd I ask you the question? Anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Maybe they fell under the umbrella of other injuries previously. Obviously, syndesmosis has to do with the foot, and I don't know whether that was came under an umbrella of navicular injuries or, or foot bruising or, or, you know, what did we have there for a while um, with the toe injuries or... Turf toe and oh, stuff like that. Oh, turf toe, yeah. Stress fractures. We, we yeah, had, stress, we... possibly stress fractures. You know, I guess like all industries, the medical industry continues to examine further and has the ability maybe to pinpoint more accurately the actual cause of a hotspot. So I reckon this might have come under hotspot previously. Remember I knew, that? I'd, I knew I'd regret asking this. Come on, let's talk about the game. Well, I just thought that was a good answer. Okay. You know what? I reckon it's more interesting than the game, Roko. How on earth could Adelaide possibly win over in the West? We know the Eagles sit up on their perch over in the West and just wait to prey on weak opponents. And this is exactly who they've got. It seems as though Adelaide's energy seems to have dissipated in same store with Taylor Walkers. They're not getting dry from him. And I'm not blaming Taylor. It's hard because he's now obviously part of every team's pre-planning. But you know what? They're not going to win. The times and margins, as they say at the races, West Coast by 53. Yeah, look, I I can't add a lot on this one, I'm afraid. Um, uh, West Coast actually have often had a very good record against Adelaide. They certainly won a few games over there when Adelaide were in far better shape than they are these days. And in fact, they have won five of the last six meetings against the Crows. Um, Yeah, it's all starting to go pretty pear-shaped for Adelaide. I hope they can find something because the sort of footy they were playing in those first few rounds was pretty entertaining and uh, gave them a bit of hope, which is, uh, well, hasn't been completely extinguished, but uh, things looking a damn sight less positive two months into the season than they were after one month. And I think the Eagles are starting to build something pretty positive here. They haven't had issues at home anyway, and they've now got a bit more confidence from a good win on the road. Uh, I think they're going to win this one very comfortably. I'm going for West Coast. In this case, by 50 points, which is a pretty high margin for me. I'm not a high margin tipper usually, but that's how confident I am that the Eagles will make short work of Adelaide. That wraps up round nine and uh, all those live odds brought to you by Palmerbet. You can play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. We have one segment left in this show, and it's everyone's favourite finey, 
fantastic footy flashbacks. Fantastic footy flashbacks. Uh, looking forward to this one. Uh, of course, last week we went back to the late 70s and uh, the turn of the 1980s. And uh, that's the sort of territory we're occupying again today. I don't know what the uh, pretext was for me thinking of this one, Finey, but it's certainly a famous football moment. Not the premiership competition. It is, however, still the VFL. I'm talking about the famous night series usually played out at Waverley on a Tuesday night in season back in the late 70s and through the 1980s. And uh, they were some pretty big grand finals we had over the journey. None more famous than this one because it finished in a blaze of controversy. Collingwood were playing North Melbourne. Collingwood, of course, were the rainy night premiers, having won in 1979, defeating Hawthorne. Uh, up against North Melbourne, who had been by this stage a power team of the competition for a good six or seven years. It was a tight affair. It was low scoring. And for much of it, the Pies looked ready to salute. But it was not to be, and it was not to be, because someone couldn't hear a particularly important sound at the end of the game. Let's pick up the action. It goes over the boundary line, so we'll see a throwing take place in the forward pocket for North Melbourne. 52 points Collingwood, 45 points North Melbourne, 7 points the margin, 26 and a half minutes have gone of the Escort Championship. Ball back into play up there towards the full forward position. Magro comes across, couldn't hold the mark. Blight fires, it's a goal! A goal! That's goal number three. What a game this has turned out to be. Three points the difference, isn't it? Or two points the difference, one point. Oh, golly, what a game, Bob. Nearly a push in the back. Pushing the back to Herbert. This may be all Collingwood need. Two points in front, just on the 29-minute mark. Time running out for North Melbourne as the ball is booted up there by Davis. Toomey and Sutton go for the ball. Over their heads, there's Shaw coming in a snap for goal. One point, so it's three points the difference now. 29 minutes gone. Rain starting to pelt down at the moment. This could be the saviour for the Magpies. It shouldn't be a very long quarter because it's, uh, it's been a pretty low-scoring one. Barassi on the phone. Ball back into play again. As we see Tanner drop the mark, but the umpires paid the free kick. I don't know how much longer this quarter will go as we see Tanner there at centre-half back, driving the ball out there towards Malcolm Blake. He's got the mark. He's clear. He boots it well up towards the full fourth. There's good with the mark. Good's got the mark. He's well within kicking distance. The siren's gone, Lou. The umpires haven't been able to hear it, but I'm the sure the siren gone. is gone. The siren's gone. The crowd coming out of the ground now. Good kicks this goal. They've won the match. Oh, what a climax of this 1980 uh, Escort Cup Grand Final. Good's already kicked three goals. He's only about uh, 25 to 30 metres out, dead in front. He kicks this. They've won the game. He's put it through in North Melbourne at Premiers. North Melbourne have won the match. What a game. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in my life. What a magnificent piece of uh, play on the part of North Melbourne to come back like they did. The final scores. North Melbourne winning the Escort Cup for 1980, the grand final. We'll see that replay again of that mark. And Malcolm Blake got it out there beautifully. 
There it is. There's the kick well down there as Malcolm Blight takes the mark there at centre field. Malcolm Blight back to his best, and we see Good get that one on the chest. A beautiful lead, and of course we know the result. Lou, there is no doubt in my mind that the siren had gone well before uh, the, the ball had been kicked, but it, the game does not finish until the umpire hears it, and, it, and uh, the siren tonight was nowhere near as loud as it normally is. But there's the final score in the Escort Championships. North Melbourne 8-9-57, a three-point margin over Collingwood 7-12-54, and that's Kerry Good who kicked four goals and the vital goal being carried off the ground. Well, I've got to say, I mean, that was sort of when the collie wobbles and, and the fact that Collingwood just hadn't been able to put away a grand final, a day grand final since 1958, for those of us who reveled in the pain of Collingwood supporters. That was just the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae, wasn't it? It was hilarious because they were utterly robbed. Do you know, uh, I've got a, a funny memory about that game. So it was 1980. I was in year 10 at school, but I just happened to be doing a couple of weeks uh, work experience at the Herald um, in the, the old Herald Weekly Times building. And I was, I was in sport and um, I remember going in there pretty early. The Herald guys started pretty early in the morning and uh, oh, it was just chaotic because it was such a big story and there were talks about court challenges and all sorts of stuff. But as you heard Bob Skilton say at the end of that call, for whatever reason, the siren was like someone was sitting on the speaker or something. It was just incredibly muffled. I've had to listen back a lot. You, you can just pick up the sound of the siren as Malcolm Blight is running with the ball. So the siren actually went two kicks before the end of the game. So, I mean, there's losing after the siren and then there's losing seconds and seconds after the siren. The Pies just couldn't take a trick on the luck front. The other funny story out of that, of course, is that uh, Ross Glendinning won the TV for best player on the ground. And uh, I think uh, pretty universal that Kevin Morris was in fact the... Uh, the best player that night. And there was a, a wonderful moment on the front bar, uh, I think it was last year or the year before, where Ross Glendinning still had the TV, bought it in and ceremonially handed it over to Kevin Morris a good 40 years after the fact. So uh, it's become part of uh, footy folklore, that famous 1980 night grand final and Collingwood losing because the umpires didn't hear the siren. Okay, that's my contribution this week, Finey. What do you got for us? Well, I'll take us back to another very famous day in the history of football, July the 1st, 1978. Western Oval, Footscray taking on St Kilda. And it was the day that Kelvin Templeton returned with an amazing haul of 15 goals nine. I mean... How about those for numbers? Yes, there are a couple of those goals that were dubious and in years to come, umpire Tony Bryant would admit that he might have been caught up in the fervour. But we cannot take away from that effort by Kelvin Templeton, who was in bloody good form coming into that game. The week previously, Footscray had upset North Melbourne at Arden Street. Footscray only kicked 13 goals, but seven of those goals were kicked by Templeton. St Kilda were no shoddy outfit in 78. They missed the finals by the narrowest of margins and finished the season with a rattle, having big wins over Hawthorne and Carlton at the end of 78. But at that point, they were struggling because there was no 
Ditterich or side bottom in the side as a result of that famous game at Moorabbin against Essendon. And they were really a weakened outfit. So let's have a listen to the closing stages, the last couple of goals here, as Kelvin Templeton rips St Kilda a new one. Foot straight, 31-15, 201, St Kilda 16-10, 106. Saru, oh, it's partly smothered, trouble low. Templeton, 14, he's done it, he's done it. This is low. Pass coming down towards the wing. To Whitten and uh, back to power. Good stay on the rampage again. Templeton can get the fly from the back. Oh! They've played it. The umpire's played it. And thousands of children on the ground, at least a thousand. But the siren hasn't gone yet. That's his 16th, 16th mark. And he's hit 14 goals, and play will be held up here for at least three or four minutes, I feel sure. This would be a record goals kicked in the match for a Footscray player, I'd say. He's kicked 14 goals, nine, and there he is, number 31, the star of the moment. The greatest full forward to happen to league football since Doug Wade and Peter Hudson. You know, he missed half a last season through injury. That's right. Sustained in the interstate game. And there's the coach, Don McKenzie. <laughs> He's on the ground now. I'm just angry, Jeff. You know, can he be on the ground? As far as I know, the siren hasn't gone. It hasn't gone yet. And he's kicked it. That's his 15th. And the crowd come back. The crowd come back. The siren's gone, is it? I haven't heard the siren go, but it must have gone. There is absolute confusion here. Our players are still on the ground. Nobody has moved. I'm sure the siren hasn't gone. A tweet down. There's a look. Tries to find Green. Brilliant performance at the Western Oval by the home side Footscray. More reaction with it. The final scores Footscray 33 15. That's 213 to St Kilda 16 10 106. Uh, great stuff. I've got to say, though, yeah, and it's easy to have a laugh about it now. That last mark Templeton was paid absolutely ridiculous. It was on the ball barely brushed his hand on the way down. It's hmm. funny funny what you remember about different things in footy games too, though, Finey. I, I think that's a, a highlights package we've all, or you and I, I know, have seen a lot over the years. But I, I there are a couple of things which are just side issues always come back to me whenever I see it. One is that it was a really foggy day that day. And uh, it was it was midwinter. I was out at uh, Windy Hill watching Essendon Collingwood. But I do remember it being very sort of foggy, almost a mist across the ground most of the day. Second one, when Templeton kicked that final goal, the crowd had, of course, run on the ground. And what could you see? Well, Footscray coach Don McKenzie out on the ground offering some goal-kicking tutoring to Templeton as he lined up. And the other thing, I, for some reason, always pops into my mind is that you see two little kids standing next to him as he lines up and they've clearly gone to the footy together one of them's a St Kilda supporter one of them's a Footscray supporter they've both got these flags and the foot the one of them I think the St Kilda supporter is standing there and the his little Footscray mate is poking him in the ass with his flag (laughs) (laughs) have a have a look at the video back anyone and see if you can see it it's on the I think to Kelvin Templeton's right 
But just some of those stupid little asides. I've got to say, though, what, what was Don McKenzie doing out on the ground, for God's sake? Amazing, wasn't it? I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about the game. You're an immensely bright football trivia expert. You'll be doing well to get these. Now, as much as, and I remember at this game, as much as everybody was pulling their hair out amongst us and Kilda fans with Templeton, I was more worried about another player who kicked seven goals for the Bulldogs that day. Oh, he, yes. never, he never went anywhere near kicking seven goals. It was bloody ridiculous. I've got it. It was Ian Dunstan. Well done. Ian Mocker Dunstan. Now, what on earth was he doing kicking seven goals in a game of football? And, Actually, yeah, go on. Ask the other one. Go on. Yeah, well, the other one you, you won't get. If you get, I'll, I'll bear my... Anyhow, I don't. I can't say that because I've had to... You've done that before. And you get it right. There were two sets of brothers playing for the Bulldogs that day, and I doubt you'll get both of them. Oh, no. I, I, oh, no, I know this one. This one. Who was it? It was... Oh, well, the Reeds. Bruce and John Reed. Yeah, yep, yep. You and got the that. other one, hang on, it's going to come to me because I reckon I've I've gone this way. I oh, know, I've got it, I've got it. Terry Wheeler. Oh, you got it. And I've just got to remember his name. I've got it, Gary, Gary Wheeler. All right, because I remember that. Do you know why I remember that? Why? Because I spent the afternoon abusing the Wheeler brothers, as I do, asking whether they worked in tandem, whether Terry would grab a bloke by the nuts and Gary was brought <laughs> in to grab him by the old fella. You were 13 years old. What were you doing? Asking... <laughs> what were you doing asking questions like that at 13? I was a, I was a fairly rough and ready footy supporter. Uh, clearly. Uh, you know, sorry, I just had another stupid uh, trivial memory too. I remember that when Templeton was paid that last mark, standing next to him, clapping madly like... Uh, a spectator at a circus or something. I, can, I know who it was. Yeah, go on, you tell me. Was it Jack Di Natale? It was the uh, diminutive and mustachio Jack Di Natale <laughs> clapping manically as Templeton was paid the mark. I mean, I've since looked at that video and I reckon if the police came on to clear spectators from the ground, one of them would have grabbed Di Natale and said, look here, young fella until he turned around and seen his moustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, great stuff. Uh, always my favourite segment on this show. Fantastic footy flashbacks. That brings us to the end of the show. Uh, we've got a series of thank yous. Of course, none the least, our new partner, and we are very excited about this, Palmerbet, official partners of the Footyology podcast Stick with Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Check out their app and their online facilities, palmerbet.com. Always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. And uh, our other wonderful sponsors, please, Finey, if you will. The best burger in town, in this town, in any town. But luckily, very pleased to say as Melburnians, sorry if you're listening interstate, Get in the car and get to 144 Bridgeport Street, Albert Park. Do yourself a favour, to quote Molly, and get the best burger in town at Andrew's Hamburgers, the best building town, West Point Properties, Nick Spartels' Houses, Sparkle. And the best stats in town at Stats Insider, sports and data-driven industry leaders, 
They model projections and analysis of more than 15 sports across the world, simulating an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Some great writing on there too. It's all free to use, so check it out at statsinsider.com.au. As for us, you can help support our operation either at the ACAST support page, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and at our own Patreon page, which is available on the Footyology website, footyology.com.au. $7 Australian per month makes you an official Footyology patron, and we are always very grateful for the support of our very loyal audience. Without you, of course, there wouldn't be a show, and we want to keep doing this for a long time yet, but things definitely heading in a upwards direction as far as support goes. So thank you, everyone, for sticking with us this long, and uh, we will be around for some time yet. Good luck to your teams. Uh, this weekend. Hope you get a win. Uh, hope things turn around for you if your team hasn't been travelling particularly well. And that's certainly the case for both of us. So good luck to you, Fawny, and good luck to my team as well. We will be back on Sunday night for the review edition of Round 9. In the interim, of course, don't forget our Twitter and Facebook live stream. Footyology final siren following the big St Kilda Geelong game on Friday evening, uh, 10.45, that kicks off. We answer all your questions and we have a bit of fun besides. So jump on live on Facebook and Twitter and check that out. Have a great weekend of footy, everyone. We'll catch you later. Listener.